1: Cynthia Poole, and my guest today is Assemblyman John McDonald, and John is here to talk about his primary campaign for the New York State
0: Legislature.
1: So, John, you've been in office for a few years
0: now, right? Yeah, you know, Cynthia, I'm finishing up my fourth term, eight years here at the New York State Assembly, and as many people know, I was very fortunate to serve the community of Cajos for 13 years as its mayor, so it's... Um, It's it's been a a great time and a great opportunity. You've got a lot of great work done, and at the same token, there's a lot more to be done. So um, you
1: said a lot more has to be done. Can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit?
0: Yeah. You know, over the last eight years, we have really restored funding to education, added $8 billion statewide over the last eight years, over $30 million, just in the Albany City School District, but we know there's much more to be done, and we want to build on that opportunity. And, of course, you know, in my district, one the, it's one of the few districts in the state that actually has UPK for both three- and four-year-olds, but we want to expand child care provisions more than what we've done in the past, and we want to build greater partnerships with the county who controls some of that funding as well. Um, same token, uh, the biggest challenge that most people have had, and we were making great progress pre-COVID, is regards to job opportunities, particularly those where the education system hasn't been the right fit. Either the system has failed them or maybe they have now found the system to be to their desire. And we've been doing a lot of workplace development programs. I created a $175 million workforce development fund two years ago, um, which we're starting to implement that money into the community, particularly mm-hmm. communities that I represent that are underserved, that have um, inappropriately high unemployment numbers And, of course, it's going to be more difficult and challenging uh, because of the fact that we are going to be in a time probably for the next several years where there will be high unemployment um, because of COVID-19. So um, we're excited to build upon that um, in many aspects and still continue the great work we've been doing in other areas, including the opioid crisis, which has affected every single family from one end of the district to the other and throughout the state and country. You know,
1: I'm glad you brought up the uh, unemployment uh, issue because of the coronavirus. How do you think it's going to impact the region, the state, and the nation?
0: Yeah. Our region, interestingly enough, is uh, probably a little bit more resilient because of the fact that our our region has four economic drivers, right? It's government, government's a larger employer, education, okay. including higher education, um, technology, which is big, and, of course, healthcare. So I don't want to say we're recession-proof because we are going to be subjected to it, but I think compared to other parts of the state, particularly in upstate New York, we're going to probably feel less of it than others, but still it doesn't matter. When it when hits the kitchen table in a household, it's an impact. So we have to be prepared for it. We have to um, – I, I shouldn't say we have to be prepared for it. We have to pivot decisions and, and move in different directions, and we also have to make sure that we keep in mind that You know, the average family, uh, you know, is happy that we have a property tax cap. They don't want their taxes raised. And even though we continue to lower the middle-class income tax rate, we've been doing it for the last four years and we'll do it for the next three, the reality is we want to make sure the burden doesn't fall to our hard-working families. And at the same token, look at those who are ultra-wealthy who probably could pay a little bit more of their fair share, which is something that the assembly has supported for years. Uh, Only in the last... Year and a half have we actually had a willing partner in the Senate that would consider some things. Although this year, that was not one thing they would consider.
1: This is the first time you've really had a uh, an opponent. Not only have you had an opponent, but
0: campaigning has changed. So, what's your thoughts about all that? Well, actually, um, this is my ninth time running for elected office. I've had an opponent five or six out of those nine times, so it's really not the first time I had an opponent. As you know, when I ran for this seat, I ran against a very worthy opponent, Carolyn McLaughlin, who I was fortunate enough to succeed over and, and even more fortunate to have her support during this campaign. Her support plus every other Democratic in the district from one side of the river up to the other side of the river except for my opponent. Um, That being said, campaigning is different. Um, I've been actually more focused on serving my constituents versus campaigning because at the end of the day, folks don't want people getting these incessant number of phone calls. They don't want people knocking at the door. What they want is they want their needs to be addressed, and that's where we've been focusing, primarily in the areas of unemployment and regarding to help people get benefits, primarily in the areas of small businesses Little things. I've been in the south end of Albany and on Central Avenue here in Albany making sure that simple things like having hand sanitizer is available to the small businesses at no cost because they're struggling. They they were shut down for two or three months to begin with. And then we mm-hmm. have, unfortunately, the unfortunate events that happened here after that uh, in regards to the damage of some businesses. So to be honest with you, I, you know, I've not ignored the campaign. I don't take it for granted. I always run as if I'm 15 points behind, even if I don't have an opponent and I do run hard. But same token, this year has been different since the year. You're right. I've been more focusing um, on constituent services because people are hurting and they need help.
1: Um, for, you know, I put the news on every day, and I, I just look at what's going on. and I, It's kind of It's kind of frightening to go from one – one world to the next within a couple of days and people's lives have changed Um, I know that you recently, I think it was last week you were in session again, right?
0: Correct, yep
1: What was the uh, talk with the other assembly people on how they're coping with all of their stuff in
0: their district? Well, much like my colleagues, we're all focusing on our constituents and the needs. As you know, Cynthia, we've um, we've had two weeks of session in the last four weeks. We came back for a special COVID-19 package to provide relief to tenants and small landlords and helping them. We put $100 million out there. The governor hasn't approved it yet, but we want to help tenants continue to stay in their apartments. And the small mom-and-pop landlords that own the two or three family, we're trying to help them at the same token. And last week, we were in for criminal justice reforms, and we put forth an 11-point package, which we passed in the Assembly, and and the majority of which, all but one, was passed in the Senate. And fortunately, the governor has signed a majority of those bills. Um, We're there because we're concerned. We're just as upset as the constituents, but same token, we need to make sure that we provide the services that they need, that we take action on items that arguably were long overdue, but as I mentioned earlier, the Assembly has been very strong on many aspects that I've supported. You know, obviously, it's tenant protections, taxing the ultra-wealthy, and also, of course, criminal justice. But it's only within the last year and a half we've had a willing partner in the New York State Senate. And so we've accomplished an awful lot. If you think about it in the last, last the first six months of last year, um, this year COVID-19 has kind of interrupted some of that progress. But we're intent to continue to, f- to uh, fulfill a lot of those commitments.
1: Now, you're used to running a campaign where you go door-to-door and meet people. And I yeah. know you meet a lot of people in your pharmacy, but how has the
0: coronavirus changed the way you campaign? So, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, I maintain I, I an office in my business. So I'm there a little bit in the morning, but usually I'm here in Albany, but during the day, I actually go out and take some walks in the neighborhoods and I don't go knocking on doors, but guess what? People are out. People like to talk. We chit chat a little bit. We've also done some um, zoom town halls, mostly focused on the issues that most people are concerned about, whether it's childcare, whether it's education, whether it's the nonprofits, we are so blessed. We have so many nonprofits serving our area so that's been an opportunity to interact. So it's been different. Um, I swore off any fundraising during this effort. I haven't put any effort into that because I just don't think it's the right time to be asking people while they're struggling to look for funds. Um, that being said, we've had some great zoom meetings and Facebook live events to really, uh, you know, continue to stay in touch with the folks. Cynthia, as you know, cause you're out a little bit, I'm, when we're in non-COVID times, I'm out six to seven nights a week at multiple events all the time. And it's not Mm -hmm. there just to get your picture taken. It's there to really hear what folks have to do. And I've always said God gave me two ears and one mouth. And I've always used the ears first to listen to what the people's concerns are. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you use your mouth when you need to. And more importantly, you use your vote when you need to. And that's probably been the most important part. You mentioned something
1: very interesting, and that's nonprofits. And, you know, in Albany, there's many hospitals. There's yep. St. Peter's, there's Albany Med, yep. and they're all nonprofits, tax-exempt. And, and the taxes are pushed on to the people who might not be able to afford it. So what do you say
0: about that? Are you talking about the taxes that we're not generating from those healthcare institutions? Exactly. Yeah, you know, that the, the Eds and Meds conversation, that's what it's always been talked about, colleges and healthcare facilities. It's an interesting conversation. The reality is is that when I look at the, the constituents I represent, particularly in the five cities that I represent, um, mm-hmm. Albany Med employs 10,000 of those constituents. Those are real jobs. So we need to keep that in mind because at the end of the day, and as you know, I've been walking the picket lines with the nurses as they're trying to get a contract. We can start taxing these healthcare facilities, which legally by IRS standards are exempt. We could try to, to extract some money out of it. But the reality is some would argue that through their natural employment, first of all, you don't want to take away wages that could go to staff that work there, particularly the nurses. Secondly, one could argue that the amount of people they're employing is having a also important impact on our region. As a former mayor yes property taxes are your number one most stable revenue But well, your number two revenue and in many communities is actually number one is sales tax and if you keep people employed and they've got buying power and they're spending money supporting small businesses you got to look at it a little bit larger than just saying i want to send them a tax bill I, I think you i think you get my drift right so what is the in imp- all the in issue- uh, and, and, and by the way all the imagining right. in the past actually has contributed a payment and Lua taxes um, because they were trying to help the city out. That was prior to when Pat Fahey, Neil Breslin and myself were able to secure the stable funding of $12 million a year in capital city aid that we work with Mayor Sheehan on. You know, that wasn't the first year or two Mayor Sheehan was there. She didn't get that funding. She got spin-ups instead. we were able to secure mm-hmm. for the first time in the city's history, that type of AIM funding, which has made a big difference we call it capital city aid, actually, which has made a big difference in allowing services to continue and to minimize the impact on the taxpayers here in the city of Albany. You know, I'm glad you mentioned about that $12.5 million.
1: Because of everything that's going on, we we as a state are really, I would say, on the brink of bankruptcy. I don't know if I'm correct, but... What what's gonna happen with the twelve point five million next year? Will the so every, Albany-
0: single, every every single dollar that's out there is on the table right now. Everything. Not just Albany, it's education aid, it's healthcare aid. And the bottom line is is that COVID nineteen has impacted New York State the most by far. And it's shown the controller released another report today showing we're down about $175 million in in sales tax collections. We need the federal government, the only entity that can print money, to print some money. The state and local government aid needs to happen from Washington. And it's not just New York, although New York's the most impacted. What's interesting is New York has been speaking about it because of this little unique thing that people tend to forget about. We are one of the few states in the country that actually does its annual budget on April 1st. The majority... The majority of states are July 1st. And I can tell you right now, because unfortunately some people in Washington have tried to make this a blue state versus a red state thing. The red states Mm -hmm. are starting to bleed just as much. And now senators, senators that were a little bit um, out of touch with this whole situation, not our senators in New York, but other states and in the southern part of the country, they're starting to hear from their governors and their representatives and their labor unions, that their their, their states are struggling financially just as much as New York. Maybe the magnitude's different, but the struggle is still the same. So I am hopeful in the middle of July, the president, Senator McConnell, Speaker Pelosi, will do the right thing for the people throughout this country, join arms, and put forth uh, Stimulus 4.0, as I call it, which is going to provide some much-needed support for state and local government officials, And I would not be surprised, would not be surprised to see more support for the average family, whether it's another stimulus check to the average family, maybe it's even more funds to help tenants who are facing eviction because they have not been able to go to work. Whatever it may be, there's a lot of it out there. And at the end of the day, as much as I like to be fiscally conservative, I also realize that sometimes you need to put money back in the system and get people back to work, get the economy going. Because that's what happened after 2009. That's what Barack Obama did. And guess what? It worked. You represent areas in
1: in, uh, Albany, Rensselaer, and Saratoga counties. And I would assume that there's a lot of people cannot pay their rent because there's no money coming in. Okay. And, And the governor extended a grace period for these people. What happens when the grace period ends? Will there be massive uh, evictions
0: throughout your district and every other district in in this state? Well, that's a concern, Cynthia. That's a concern. I think, you know, you're looking at the middle of August right now before The proceedings could even start, and that would probably kick things back into September, October. At the same token, as I've noticed on a daily basis, when I come to Albany from Cahos on a daily basis, we're seeing more and more cars on the road. We're seeing more and more people in the streets. We're seeing more and more people in the buildings. People are getting back to work. Now, granted, there's still going to be, you know, right now unemployment's at 14%. I'm sure it's going to settle in the next two or three months at eight or nine percent, so we're going to have to it. We're going to really help those people who've been impacted by this, and maybe it's going to be another round of stimulus funding. Maybe it's going to be another, I'm hoping, an enhancement on the voucher system we created. 100 million dollars sounds like a lot of money, but when it goes statewide, it doesn't go far enough. We need to add more funds to it, and we need it now. You know Some people have talked about, well, we ought to raise taxes on the rich. Even if you were to start that, it wouldn't start to next year. People don't, they need help now. They don't need it next year. And therefore, we need to, you know, work with our federal government partners, share our concerns. And that's why all New Yorkers, irrespective of the political sways, should be lending their voices to their friends in other states, to their brothers and sisters and laborers in other states, to really let people know that there's a lot of struggle.
1: Like I said, you, you represent parts of three different counties. Yeah. And you're, you're a small businessman. What is the health of small business in your, in your entire district?
0: What is the health of small business? Yes. Those who are open, you know, those who are essential have been continuing to move along and they're doing okay and they're doing what we hoped they would do. Some of them were able to access the PPP program and keep people employed, which is important. I just talked to a florist who was trying to still figure it out. And, you know, it's unfortunate. He had probably 40 weddings uh, scheduled this summer. He lost them. Now they'll be rescheduled. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're struggling to get by right now. And that's why um, I co-sponsored legislation and we passed in the assembly. It's waiting for the governor's signature. It's going to allow IDAs, local IDAs, whether it's the Cohoes IDA, whether it's the Albany IDA, or whether the Rensselaer County IDA, to support Mm -hmm. business loan programs. IDAs have been prohibited to do that for the last 15 years. I know that because I used to run an IDA. And the bottom line is no better way for small businesses and communities to work with the local governments and their economic development offices to, to help position. And it's not a lot. It's up to $50,000, money in loans, maybe forgivable loans that will help these businesses get back on their feet to adjust to COVID-19, post-COVID-19 life, because things have to change. I think restaurants particularly are a good example where they're going to have to change the layout. They may have to change their offerings, and they may have to change their staffing. We want to help them. And I think hopefully the governor, he should be signing that bill relatively soon, will see fit to put this in play, because there's $105 million sitting on the sidelines throughout New York State through these local IDAs, where they want to help their small businesses. And, you know, as you know, the governor believes in a bottom-up approach. This is a great bottom-up approach. Let the local IDAs work with their small businesses to help get them open, but more importantly, Cynthia, to keep them open.
1: I'm going to change uh, the scenario a little bit and talk about a federal issue, a federal issue that impacts every community in this country. And that's student loans. Um, you know, I don't see where the Sally May and the banks are going to forgive student people with student loans. And there might be a number of people who went to college in a field that might not be ready for them. So, what do you think is going to happen with that problem?
0: Yeah, I I think, you know, I mean, some people just think everything should be forgiven, which is a great idea. There's never enough money in the world for that. However, what I think is practical, and one thing that I think fell under the radar screen but adds up to be a lot of money, people realize the unacceptably high interest rates that many students were paying. Marcus Crespo, a longtime member from the Bronx, who's actually leaving our house this year, has reached out to me about five years ago and said, I need you to sponsor this bill. It makes perfect sense. It's about the state. Instead of, you know, the Excelsior program sounds great, but quite frankly, the Excelsior scholarship is only if you can to put the whole package together to afford college, and then it comes in with mm-hmm. last-in money. I think what we should be doing is, one, doubling down on TAP, which helps every student, helps those right. both here legally, but also those who are the Dreamers, which I supported. But at the same token, If we can help subsidize and buy down two or three percentage points of these interest loans that are out there, not only for those who are about to embark on college, but those who have been out, that that can show a justified need. I think it needs to be means tested in some aspects. I think that's the way we can really lower the overall cost of higher education. Um, Higher education is going to go through a very, very dark period right now. A lot of students are not going to be able to afford to go. We've got to find ways that we can help them. To afford to go, we need to make sure that they do not get taken advantage of by many of these um, financial institutions. Because I think that's probably um, that, that 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 that's just a very dangerous cliff they may walk off of.
1: Hmm. So when you talk to people, whether it be in your pharmacy or out on the street, what's besides COVID, what is the most pressing issues they say they're concerned about?
0: So, you know, it's interesting. You know, pre-COVID, it was what I call kitchen tables issues, right? It's about, you know, affording my taxes, getting a good job, having a good education system, and building a good future for my children so they have jobs and can carry on. That's always been what I focus on, and, of course, the opioid crisis. Now, just now in this last month, obviously, um, George Floyd's murder, has mm-hmm. really woken people up, woken people up, and you know, since you may not realize this, my district is very diverse. It's not; everyone thinks it's the progressive district of the capital Region. It's not by far. There are a pocket of progressives, and I've supported many of progressive initiatives, but not all. And the reason being is this: is that the district is very diverse. We are a good blue collar, working class, middle class community. But irrespective of if you're far right, right of center, left of center, or far left, everyone looked at George Floyd and said, that's just wrong. That's just dead wrong, and we need to make changes. And we need to make changes in, in, in you know, it's not to berate law enforcement officers. There are many good public officers out there, whether it's police, fire, or corrections. Unfortunately, there are some who ruin it for the rest. And we need to change our approach in regards to how we police our communities we need to take a very very close look at use of force policies i know this i took over a department that was out of control in 2000 we went up in one side and down the other cleaned it up got rid of a few officers which is not easy and really embraced community policing because that is what individuals really want they want to have a relationship with their law enforcement department they want them to be there to protect them when they need them and at the same token you know, the days of stop and frisk it should have been over a long time ago. But guess what? In some communities, it's not. And at the same token, we got to make sure that officers are careful. They, you know, the, the law enforcement community, it's not an easy job. You deal with a lot of horrific situations that the public thankfully doesn't see. And take, uh, trust me, when you've, now I've unfortunately been there when we found a drowned individual. When I've seen somebody been shot and slashed and killed and blood all over the place. It does wreak havoc on individuals at some point, And in essence, changes their approach. We need to make sure that the psychological supports are there to help those individuals, because quite honestly, it, it does change the way they look at the world. And unfortunately, that sometimes manifests itself in the way they, they conduct themselves as law enforcement officers. Not everybody, but it does happen. Post-traumatic stress for police and fire is more predominant than one would guess. And unfortunately... Um, it's it's something that needs to be addressed. So we have just a couple minutes left. Um,
1: if anybody wants to, even though there's just minutes left before the primary, um, how can they
0: reach out to you if they want to get involved in your campaign? Well, the easiest thing to do is go to my website, McDonaldForAssembly.com, um, I'm very easily accessible. Everybody knows my my cell phone is always on my answering machine at work. If I'm, if we're not there, and it's on my business card, I'm not not hard to find by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and we just remind folks that primary is on Tuesday, June 23rd. The good news is is that you can do early voting, and you just go to the county, go to my website, and you'll find those sites. You can do early voting this week until Sunday. And then you have – and a lot of people are thinking they can only do absentee, and that's not the case whatsoever. And a lot of people don't realize that even if they send in their absentee and they want to change their mind, hopefully for me, they can actually still go in and vote because the vote at early voting or the vote on primary day negates the absentee ballot. Really? Yeah. That's that's been a part of law forever.
1: So if somebody voted absentee, and they change their mind The better candidate. They can go down to their post and
0: change and yeah, re-vote. They can, they, they, the voting person always negates the absentee. It won't be counted twice, Cynthia. I know that's part of the Albany lore, but that will not happen here <laughs> in this day right. and age. As you know, you've been around a, right. a few years just as much as I have. But the bottom line mm-hmm. is some people may have forgotten that there's actually a presidential ballot there. And they may want to vote for some of the local delegates, so you know they can always go vote in person.
1: Great.
0: So you have been. So we, to... we 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 go just ahead. say vote early, but not often.
1: <laughs> you were born and raised in Cahos. Yes, ma'am. So, <laughs> so you can tell many stories about Albany County, right? Ab- absolutely.
0: There's there's a lot of oh history out
1: there. That's So you've been listening to Assemblyman John McDonald. I'm Cynthia Poole. This is Focus on Albany. And if you like this show, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. John, the best of luck next Tuesday, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great day. Thanks, Thanks Cynthia.